Hi friends, welcome to Still With You. My name is Coley Browning and I am the host of this podcast, Still With You, a space for sharing gold, inspiring stories with genuine friends about our faithful God. If you are new to the block, welcome. And if you are a returning listener, hey it is so good to have you back. It always encourages me when I sit down with friends of mine who are doing amazing things for the kingdom of God in their hard work and their brave decisions. It makes me want to step in obedience with God even more. I know that He is not giving up on me. He is still with me just like He is still with you. Speaking of brave moments, imagine yourself arriving to your first interview in a new big city, clumsily wearing your skirt backwards and accidentally sliding out of your seat during the meeting. This sounds more like the pilot episode of a hilarious sitcom rather than reality, but not for Megan Mucci. This was her life. This day changed everything. Born into a military family, Megan was raised living in six different states and two countries. Even though she held an abundance of travel experience, it was not until she discovered her love for video production when the world truly opened up to her. This discovery led her to dive deep in learning about photography and later developing her own skill set for her favorite form of art, graphic design. At a young age, Megan felt God calling her to inspire, influence, and be a leader for others in her creative field. Though there were moments when she resisted, God never gave up on his dreams for her life. Today, Megan calls home in Brooklyn, New York with her husband, Stephen, and their loyal dog, Harley Pans. In her career, she has worked as a producer, creative director, motion graphic editor, and graphic designer, and left her mark on several businesses and television shows such as Zazu Media Group, New York and Company, ABC's The Chew, and The Tamron Hall Show. Currently, Megan is working as the senior graphics artist of The Drew Barrymore Show, a daily show that I love, that launched this year in September 2020. I love Megan's story because even before falling out of her seat during her first interview in New York, Megan's journey has been one of ultimately learning to trust Jesus as her true life compass. Friends, I promise you are not going to want to miss a minute of Megan's amazing testimony and story of God's true faithfulness and sincerely the theme of this podcast on how he never gives up on his people. Together, let's lean into leadership as you listen to the beautiful and brilliant, my friend, Megan Mucci. Your hairstyle, I love it. If I could pull off bangs, I absolutely would. Have you always been committed to that look? Oh, thanks so much. That's so sweet. I have not always been committed to it. And in high school, I had really curly hair. So my hair has changed like a lot. Now it's more wavy than curly. And I always found I never knew what to do with the part of my hair that was like right where the bangs are. I just never knew what to do with them. It wasn't curly enough to just like have this beautiful like head of hair, but it wasn't straight enough to just sit straight so that I would straighten it. It just looked awful. And it was kind of like that <laughs> until sophomore year of college. I just really love Zoe Deschanel. And then what's her name? The girl Rory from Gilmore Girls. So I literally just took both photos to a hairdresser and was like, make this happen. And I have been very committed to it ever since. So I was like, I'm going to start off just asking about her hairstyle because we're going to talk about all the hard work and the amazing amazing brain and abilities that she has. I'm just going to start off with the obvious and then we're going to go deep. (laughs) 
I will let you know that right now I look like a hot mess and my hair is in a messy bun and my bangs are not put together. So I want to hear about you living six years in Florida because you grew up in a military family, two different countries and six states. So like, tell me about that. We lived mostly on the East Coast. It was like we just bounced around to the same places over and over again, too, which was weird because we were in the panhandle. Okay, well, first I was born in South Carolina, but I don't remember that at all. So then it was like South Carolina, Maryland, Florida, Alabama, Maryland again, Florida again. And then when I was 15, my parents were like, oh, we're moving to Japan. I was so mad. I couldn't imagine how that would be any good at all in my life. And then it ended up being the best. Uh, My family grew a lot stronger because of it. It was just a really tough year leading up to that. There's been so many things that have happened that have just been like God having his hand and like just making sure everything's okay. Moving to Japan literally saved our family. What was it about that specifically that country though that kind of set a fire on you? So we were 15. My twin sister and I, a big thing about moving around, when people ask me about that, honestly, I didn't really think too much about moving around because my sister is my best friend. Everywhere we went, we were just kind of together and exciting to go on every new adventure. I was always really excited. It wasn't until we moved to Japan that I was like, absolutely not. My sister and I weren't really speaking before we went to Japan. We were kind of on the out. We both had had a really tough year and we had put a lot of stock in other people's opinions following the crowd rather than Jesus. We didn't have any grace for one another. We couldn't understand where the other one was coming from or like why the other person was making the choices they were making. We were at odds and it was really uncomfortable because we were in the same room. We shared a room together and it was just, you know, walking on eggshells around each other. If we weren't doing that, maybe making jabs at one another. My parents were doing long distance because my dad was I think it was air flight school. I I always get him confused. He did a couple of masters in his career. And that was one of them where he had to go away for a year to do his masters. But my parents were worried if they took my brother away his senior year, because I have a brother as well, you know, it would really just mess up his future. So they decided to do long distance for a year. It was a lot. There was a lot of stress. Um, My mom was really nervous about going abroad. She'd always wanted to go abroad, but she wanted to go in Europe. So she was disappointed. And she also was upset because, you know, her son was about to go to college and she was going to be separate from him. And then we got there. I think the saddest thing about moving to Japan was leaving my brother. And also the saddest thing about it was that we grew as a family and it felt like he wasn't there for that. Wow. In the seasons when he would come to Japan to visit us to see that like he was still stuck in that season and we had removed ourselves. That sentence alone hits my heart. Though I've not lived that exact experience, I do know what that's like leaving family, being from a military family myself. I can't even imagine that below the age of like 18. When we were leaving, it really felt like I was being rescued out of a fire. I mean, I felt so lost, but in the end, it felt like for the best reasons, in the best possible way. Like you needed to be stripped of everything that you had made an idol in order for you to move forward. I mean, Japan itself is amazing, but the situation was so unique and so kind of handcrafted for my family. It's Okinawa. It's this like tiny island off of the coast of the mainland. We basically got there and my parents were just like, you have to be an exemplary child, basically, (laughs) because your dad is an officer here. And what you and we've never lived on a base before. It was the first time we've ever lived on a base. We'd always lived off base. Our names were on the houses. People noticed you. Even like my car had this little eagle on it that stood for like commander's car. People would salute my car when I drove by. Little things that like people are watching you. You need to represent excellence in everything you do, or at least try Mm. to. And like that sounds negative, but it's so much of what God calls us to, it just really set me up for 
a better future. I really believe that. The community there was different. What we left behind was basically a city that really cared about money, that really cared about your social status, and people talk. It's weird because you would think that would be how it would be in the base, and it was. I think my parents just had a much different experience than we did. I'm sure in that level, people were talking the way they were in the place that we left. But in, as far as kids were concerned, it was amazing. Like everyone knew what it was like to be a military kid. Everyone was incredibly inclusive. Everybody knew how hard it was to be a teenager. You just felt safe. It was just cozy and amazing. And the people there were incredible. And everyone was beautifully and uniquely themselves. And that really made it possible for my sister and I to grow in our personalities and be the people that God meant us to be, find out who that was. We were able to be these confident young women. That wasn't going to be possible in the place that we left behind. So it gave you the opportunity to like rekindle that sisterhood that you had once had and that had kind of fallen away. Yeah, it was a really lonely first six months. And we were both able to realize how we had boxed each other out. And then we started to get closer. I had really not been taking care of myself. I wasn't sleeping at the right hours. I, I never was diagnosed, but I'm, I'm certain I was depressed before we got there. And so I was able to like sleep better. I started working out. My dad and I would go to the gym together. And then I joined the soccer team. So then sometimes I was working out twice a day. I ended up losing like 30 pounds. And and I was really not doing well in school before I left too. And I had a real turning point. It was like God was showing me like what I was giving up when we dropped my brother off at school. My parents had been saying for months, you're not doing well. This is not what we expect from you. It's very disappointing. And I was just like, whatever, I'm a freshman. I have three years to catch up. Like, we'll, we'll figure it out. And then we went to school and I saw my brother moving in and everything. And I wasn't envious. I like don't even know that I wanted to go to college, but I just knew that I wouldn't even have the option if mm. I just had the same path as going on. So when I got to Okinawa, I was much more in tune. You just need to be better. <laughs> my whole sophomore year was really just me working on myself, getting connected in our church and then doing better in school and working out. It was night and day who I was at the end of the year and who I was when I arrived on the island. The crazy thing is that I didn't realize it was happening. And I think that's so much of my story. It's just a matter of saying yes every day and being willing. Yeah. It's incredible how God does that. And then you look back and you're like, wow, if I hadn't done this, this, and this, my life would be so much different and worse. With you having walked through that trauma at 15, like how did you discover the creative side of you and your love for video production and then that moved into like photography and graphic design. How was that layered into your story? They were actually just starting the video program at the school that I went to. They didn't know what they were going to do, but it was going to be the morning news. I'd always been interested in the morning news at my last school. And I just figured, you know, like this was an opportunity to get involved in something that wasn't a click because it didn't exist before I got there. <laughs> and my sister was also interested in it. And I think that had something to do with it. Like we both were interested in it. We can both do this. And it was a bit of a commitment now that I'm thinking about it because we had to be at school like pretty early. I think we had to be there at like 6 a.m. or something to do the morning news. And then it ended up being 
so great. And so the first year we had one teacher who I was uncomfortable around and I actually didn't really like that much, but I really did enjoy what we were doing. So I just kept showing up. And then the next year we got another teacher who was really fun and energetic. Her name is Mrs. Jakus. And we still keep in touch to this day. We're Facebook friends. And she wrote <laughs> me a letter of recommendation for college. And when she went for this really big job a couple of years ago, I wrote her letter of recommendation. And that is so cool. I love that full circle. Isn't it amazing? It was such an honor. I learned a lot of hard lessons when I was in her class. Definitely copyrighted something once. <laughs> that was a hard lesson for me. And she was walking through some really tough stuff at the time too. And so it was really beautiful to watch this adult going through such hard stuff and then still being brave enough to show up every day and invest in others. I really pushed back on being a leader. Mm. I had so many people in my life say like, you're a leader. And Mrs. Jacobs was one of them. Like you're a born leader, you need to lead. And me just being like, no, no, thank you. So many moments of my life have like been me breaking down crying and then being like, God, I had no plans. <laughs> I had no plans for any of this. Just realizing kind of like in the moment when my parents were like, you need to step up and you need to live your life with excellence. It's very much that. Like God just being like, okay, chin up. We're going into battle. Like you need to get up. I feel like he must have loved you having no plans because he probably would have been like, sweet. Like I have many plans for you. This is what we're signing up. Someone probably needs to hear that. If like you don't have plans right now, that's probably a good position because God has the plan. <laughs> like start seeking because he'll open a door. When people ask me about going to college too, I have no idea how I ended up at Florida State. I had just spent my whole life saying, whatever you do is what we were supposed to do, basically. It's like what I believed. Like, you know, he's got me in his hand and like whatever ends up happening is how it was supposed to be. It wasn't until I was like 21 where I was like, I went to passion conference. And I just remember having that realization that, oh, you know what, maybe you want me to ask you where you want to go. <laughs> like, <laughs> where do you want me to go? I haven't even asked you. I just thought wherever I end up is where you want me. Everything, including school, nothing was by accident, but it just kind of fell into place. And I'm so thankful for that. I'm so thankful that he walks before us even when we are just refusing to take our blindfolds off. Yeah. And he's just doing it and, and making a way. I mean, I'm sure I missed out on some incredible things in those time periods. I really do think that sometimes we do. You know, sometimes we miss out on these beautiful callings because we're just not paying attention. But I'm thankful yeah. for what I did get to partner with him in. And so in this situation, both my sister and I, we just kept showing up and Mrs. Jacobs kept pushing me to be a leader and me just being like, I'm okay to follow. And it wasn't until our senior year, we had this opportunity. We needed to raise some money. And my sister and I decided to do a film festival, the very first film festival at our school. And everybody was allowed to participate. It didn't have to be people who were just in video. And we ran the whole thing. And it was seamless. Like, we weren't even worried about it. We were like, this is me fun. And we just did it. And it was so much fun. I have no idea if it ever happened again. Well, you all were probably a hard act to follow. So, <laughs> And then my teacher asked us if we were going to make a video for it. And we were like, no, no, we just don't really have time. Like, we're so busy. We're seniors. I just remember at the last second, like on a sleepy afternoon, my sister and I'm like, let's just make one. And then we did everything in secret. And we didn't show it to anyone except for her before it went live. Every time I'm around friends who have either been to FSU or are considering like everyone talks about that that is where film creatives frequent. Yeah, I didn't know that. It's really embarrassing. I had no idea. 
Uh, <laughs> yeah, but God knew because he sent you there. <laughs> I talk about it with my husband all the time because he grew up in South Florida and he says all the schools that he applied to. And I'm just like, oh, wow, look at you. You were like on it. I didn't know about deadlines. I was super behind the ball on everything. I was, you know, probably just building all these film festival things and not really thinking about what was the future. Everything kind of felt really far away. Going to school just wasn't on my mind. It just seems like it's Mm. expected of me. I'm going to go to school, but I wasn't excited about it. Even now I struggle sometimes when I think about the future and I'm just like, oh yeah, that's going to happen, but it's going to happen really far down the line. It always just seems like everything is far away. (laughs) And that's really something that is with me and God too, where he's like, or now. And I'm like, or later. (laughs) Yeah. I applied to three schools. I applied to UCF, which is where my brother went. And I was positive I didn't want to go, but I applied anyway. I applied to UWF, which I also wasn't interested in going to. No offense, because I know where you're from. Interesting. I didn't even know you applied there. That's funny. I think Pensacola was a very different place in that time, too. I think it's so lovely now. But at the time, I only had memories of going there as a smaller kid. And so, you know, at this point, it was like 15 years. I didn't have amazing memories of Pensacola. So I was like, I don't really want to go to college there, I don't think. So that kind of just left Tallahassee. So I got into all three. My sister, the only school that she got into, to for the fall because going in the summer wasn't really an option for us because we were moving back to the state. So it was going to be very stressful was Tallahassee. And I kind of had already been leaning that way. And so we both were just like, I guess we're going to go to Florida State. And it wasn't until we got to orientation that they were like, oh, there's a film school here. And I was like, wow, you can see how little I prepare for things. (laughs) Honestly, I was instantly turned off by the film school because the woman was so rude to me who talked to me about it that I was like, I literally escaped Florida to escape this attitude. And I don't want to be a part of it. I was immediately turned off from it. My sister and I both. And then we ended up going to a different meeting for the School of Communications for the media production program. And they were so inclusive and so lovely. I mean, it was still a very difficult school to get into, they told us, but it wasn't as difficult as film school. And the beauty of it is that in film school, you only learned how to do film and media you were able to have a wide variety of things. And we had just come from a video program where we did everything on our own. We did the pre-production, we did the production, and we did the post-production. So I was like, yes, that is much more my speed. I don't want to box myself out and put myself in a tough situation where I can only do one skill. Did you start to realize that, oh, this is even something that I can make a career of? Yeah, I think that's another thing. It was like the college thing where it was like, I'm not really sure what I'm going to do yet, but I know it's going to work out. And now it's more fine tuned where it's really just trust in God. But at the time, it's more just like, I just knew everything was going to be fine. I had a piece just showing up and doing things and, and not thinking. Right. Being a leader. Yeah, being a leader. You were totally leading. It took years for me to get there, but I finally did. What was that like in like stepping into a leadership role? Like when you moved out of the season of college and you're going to have to walk me through some of the experiences that led you to where you are now and where you're going and everything. But like, I mean, what was that like breaking through into leadership role? 
It was a really tough season. High school, that confidence was there. College, that confidence was there. I mean, it was just one thing to another. I just was bebopping along, just really grooving. Then I graduated and I started working at this church. Everyone loved me. Everything was going well. I was very confident. And then things took a very quick turn. And it wasn't just me. There was a lot of people who were experiencing the change. I remember my boss saying like, oh, you're the best hire I ever made to just, it was just not good. (laughs) And and there was just just a deep turn. And my sister moved. And then after uh, my husband now, but boyfriend then graduated, he moved away. I was just really lonely. And I think that's part of it. I definitely now looking back, like at the time, I felt very self-righteous. Like this is all them. It's not me. But it was definitely me. Like there's definitely fault on both sides, but definitely me. I was revolting against being the leader, like always. There was a time when that couldn't happen, like where I really did need to be the leader. Couldn't just guide along like I had been. The ways that I chose to lead were not healthy and were hurtful. I was definitely numbing. This is definitely a time period where streaming was beginning to be a thing. And it definitely became, when I look back now, in the hardest seasons of my life, I definitely used streaming shows as a way to like numb myself. And to kind of ignore what was in my life. Oh, I think that's 2020. Also, that's very relevant of what's happening right now. Oh, 100%. It's of the world. So we all are just like, this is normal and not unhealthy. (laughs) But it absolutely is. I would be alone all day. My office was technically the sanctuary. So I was just in a big dark room all day. I had no friends left in Tallahassee, really. I would just go home and just be by myself. I watched a lot of Downton Abbey. (laughs) (laughs) And I was just alone and sad. And then one day God was very clear with me. And so I'm not a hearer, but I have like a knowing. I think um, if you've ever heard like the different ways of hearing God, I'm a knower. Yeah. I was praying and I was just like, I just want to leave. So at this point, my husband now, but then boyfriend had moved to New York. I never really liked Tallahassee. Now that I'm gone, I have so much love for it. But being there, I was like, I don't like it here. I never intended on saying this long. And God was just saying, just wait, just wait. And I was like, okay. So I cozied in in that. Because you know when God says something and then you're like, I know what that means. Yes. In my timeline, this fall of 2015, no, 14. And I was like, next summer. I will just keep saving my money and next summer I will move. I started building up credit because I read online that that's how you get apartments in New York. And all the while, I was also kind of just hoping that my boyfriend would change his mind and he would hate New York. I was really scared of New York. I'd never been there. And I was like, I don't think that I belong there, God. But instead, I just kept being like, maybe he'll change his mind and then we'll move to Georgia because I'd always wanted to move to Atlanta. It just felt like home in my mind. And I'd never had a home and I desperately wanted a home. So I was like, okay. I'm going to move to Georgia. We'll change his mind. And a lot of our friends who actually went to film school were in Georgia. And so I was like, that'll be good. We should go there. He just kept saying, just wait, just wait. But then finally I settled into it and was like, okay, next summer. And then he goes, okay, be ready. And I was like, wait, what? You said just wait. And he's like, no, be ready. And I was like, okay, but be ready for what? That's really an alarming word to put into my soul. So I was on edge. I was a mess. I was not fun to be around. I was boxing everyone out, um, including my boyfriend. Like we went days without speaking. I would just count down the days until we'd see each other again and just be like, you know, we don't need to talk till then. I was a mess. And then I actually got put on probation at my church. And as soon as they put the paperwork in front of me, 
I just heard clear as day, be ready. And I was like, oh, it's over. And I just knew with everything within me, like I needed to leave. And then I told them that I would be better. And I apologized profusely and I left the office. But then immediately I left and I called my parents. And before I knew what was coming out of my mouth, I was like, I'm going to find a sublease. I'm going to put my stuff in storage and I'm coming home. They had just moved to Tampa. So I had actually really never been. Yeah. I think I'd only been there one time. <laughs> I was like, I'm moving in with you. And I'm going to move to New York in a couple months. Oh, wow. You said it just like that? I just said it. And I was so surprised. Mm. I mean, this was a couple of years after my realization of passion that we were in a partnership and that we would move forward together because yeah. I had tested him. I was like, okay, like if this is how you want to do things, if this is how we really live our lives now, where you and I work on this together and it's not just a free for all. How about this? I really didn't like Pennsylvania. I thought it was a really depressing place. It's super beautiful, but there's a lot of brokenness there. I know this is very random. I told God, if you're really wanting to test me in this, I I will move to Pennsylvania if that's what you want. And the next day, I kid you not, I had a text message from a friend who was like, there's an opening at Penn State that I think you'd be perfect for. I'm going to put you up for the job. Get out. Oh my. I mean, did you say yes? I did because I literally was like, I can't go back on that. That a girl. If you ask any of my friends, I'm a yes is yes person and no is no person. There's also this whole other thing where I told God that I would go to work at this summer camp. I had such a thing about like not trusting women. And I was like, I'll work at this summer camp, but not the girls camp. I'll work at the co-ed camp. And then he gave me the girls camp. And I was like, Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> it was very clear that this needed to be worked out in me. Yeah. If I was to do he wanted me to do. So I was like, fine, I'll do the girls camp. And it changed my life. Like there were so many moments leading up to this that I had grown so much done so much. When I got to this point, I was so disappointed in myself that I had fallen so far. I couldn't get over my bitterness and my anger and my frustration to do what he was asking me to do, which was to lead. And I was just so broken and disappointed in myself. And then I moved to New York. And that was the most depressing winter of my life. Oh, it was so awful. Did you not have a friend in the city at all? No friends. I only had my boyfriend and he was working as a PA at this production company. His hours were so long. He was working like 15 hour days and we didn't live together. So, you know, there was many days we didn't see each other and I would just be sitting in my apartment alone, just a shell of a human. Well, you are so brave. I'm putting myself in all of your shoes and I'm like, you barely touched on it, but I would even imagine myself feel, having that experience with a church. I know that had to be hard. That had to be painful too. It was incredibly painful and it, I definitely blamed other people. Like I was like, this is their fault. Everybody in the situation had their own demons they were working out. Yeah. Looking back now, I definitely didn't handle it well. And I mean, I handled the actual probation well. I feel like I was very apologetic. I stood up for myself, but also was like, I see what you're saying and I'm sorry that it's come to this. But it was really terrible because I, I was broken. I was very disappointed in myself because of what they thought of me too. And I took, again, too much shock in what they thought. Yeah. And there was a moment I knew in my soul that if I was going to come through this, if I was going to be okay, that I had to forgive them. And I needed to find another church that was going to help me walk through this and hopefully redeem the situation. But I was so terrified and vulnerable and didn't want to open myself up to people when I had been called all these things. Like I had been called a liar. I was told that I was lazy. Things that I was not. These were not true things. I was ashamed that maybe those things were true 
or if they weren't true that I had let myself be those. It was really tough. And there, and like one of the hardest things that has ever been said to me is um, my boyfriend came to see me one day and I was just like in a ball on the bed. <laughs> he and I had started dating. I had just taken over associate producer job at Seminole Productions as a student. I was like making an hour long show every week. And I was like, had like 15 editors. I was like being the leader I was supposed to be. He just looked at me and said, you are not the girl that I fell in love with. I don't know where she went, but we need to find her. Oh, wow. And I was just so sad. <laughs> you can ask any of our friends. People are always like astonished that Steven is so blunt with me, but it's kind of what makes us work so well is that I need people to be that blunt with me. I am that blunt with other people, you know, I I need someone to say something like that to me to like shake me up and make me realize that I've sat in my Mm -hmm. puddle of sadness for too long. You know, there's moments in the Bible where God says you should grieve this. And we should sit in this for a moment. But then there's moments where he's like, all right, now get up. When you went to New York, did Steven like shake you up? Or like, how did you kind of come alive? And so I feel like you are so alive in that city. And obviously like doing like leaving your mark. So like, how did that turn? I knew I needed a church. Like I needed something. I, I couldn't do this on my own. I was a mess and I was probably running from God. I mean, I was very much open to him. Like, hey, you brought me here now what? But <laughs> but in a very like childish kicking and screaming way. I didn't have a job when I got to New York. I moved without a job. I had a certain amount of savings and I basically made a budget. I didn't go anywhere. That was a big problem. There's like a saying, like every time you leave your house in New York, you spend $10. And it's really true. In order to to go anywhere. It's like 5.25 I think on the subway. I think at the time it was $5, but it's to, to go both ways. So anything that wasn't in walking distance, I really didn't do. Plus it was the coldest winter they had had in like 50 years and I had just moved there from Florida. Wow. And I didn't have a winter coat and I didn't have boots. I was also living with a 40-year-old man who was a trust fund kid who had like used all his money basically, renting out his bedroom and he was sleeping in the living room. So I felt like a captive in my own apartment. I would always sit in my room and I would I was afraid to go to the bathroom, I was afraid to go mm. into the kitchen because I just didn't want to have to see him. And I was such a mess. I didn't really want to see anyone, but I definitely didn't want to see this strange man. <laughs> so he came over for dinner one day, which was like a huge thing. Um, every time it was just like such a weird scenario of him coming over when I lived in this man's house. It was all very weird. Um, and he and I were talking and I was like, I need, we need to find a church. I started Googling churches and I found our church, which actually I think our churches are the same name. Liberty. Yeah, it's Liberty. Is this when our girl Andy Andrew comes on the scene? Yes. Andy Andrew, good old Andy. Basically what happened is I Googled churches in the area and this is one of the first churches that showed up, Liberty. And they have this thing called a vision video. They have it every year. And now actually fast forward six years or whatever, my husband actually makes the vision videos now, which is just a crazy full circle thing. And that year they spent a lot of time talking about the table. And they said, there's always room for people at the table. There's always room for you at the table. And as a person who (laughs) was super broken and really just longing to belong and longing to find a home, it was the exact thing that I needed to hear. So when my husband, my then boyfriend came over to eat dinner with me, I showed him the vision video. And then I said, if this is true, then I want to be a part of it. Mm. If it's not true, I'll be the first to find the cracks. But we're going to 
uphill regardless. So we went to Brooklyn. There was a bunch of communities at the time. We have less now, actually, I think, which is really sad. It's been a tough year. But at the time, there was a ton. But the closest one to us was Brooklyn. It was on Court Street. It was in a movie theater. Everything about my life changed. And all because I sat in that theater. I didn't want to make eye contact with people. I didn't want to engage. I felt very vulnerable and uncomfortable. And our pastors of Brooklyn at the time, we now have new pastors, but at the time were Justin and Kristen Tarsic. And I think Justin preached that day. He left the stage. And then randomly, Kristen came on the stage and she's like, I wasn't supposed to speak today, but I just feel really called to say that none of us who are here in this room ever anticipated that we would live in New York. None of us planned to live in New York. None of us maybe even wanted to live in New York, but God called us here. And so here we are. We have all left our family behind. And so we have become each other's family. And so if you're looking for a home, then this is the place for you. And we'd love it if you are a part of our family. And I just started sobbing. I was just a mess. I just felt so loved and so seen. God had just seized her and just used her as a vessel to say exactly what I needed in that moment. Mm. And my now husband, then boyfriend, looked at me and said, I guess we found our church. And I was like, yep. But I will say like the instant we left, I I wiped my face off in the bathroom and then was immediately trying to rush out so nobody would talk. And this girl, Tanya, like kind of stood in my path and was like, hey, would you like to get coffee? And then, yeah, I've pretty much ever since I've gotten fully involved in this church have been trying to be like Tanya and everything I do. I was on the welcome team and just like, hi, hello, what is your name? Your name is now important to me. Let's be friends. And just making sure that everybody who's trying not to be seen gets seen, that everyone who doesn't want to be known or is afraid of being known gets known. And this church has blessed me and changed me in all the ways that are for the better. And I'm just so thankful I mean, just some of my best friends I've met there. I've done the most hard growing (laughs) I've ever done. And they helped me forgive the people I needed to forgive in order for me to get my confidence back in order for me to find my identity again. The local church, it is so taken for granted. And yes, anytime you're working with people, it can get messy. But that is why the local church exists because of the desperate need for family. My Liberty, we meet in a theater as well. It's not a film theater, but I mean, it could be. We do use the screen. It's a theater production that has shows going on weekly. The same, like I cried every time I would go for like the first three months for no reason other than I was going through a hard (laughs) season of growth. I had a friend who stood in the way also because I didn't know how to make friends at the time and invited me over because she was moving. And I was, it was just like crazy things like that happened. Oh, and that's the other thing. You serve on welcome team. I forgot to mention that. I actually like lead our welcome team too. That's amazing. I think Leanne was leading the welcome team when I joined it, actually. I love welcome team. It's my fave. Not one of us could have expected the dump truck loads of events and emotions that this year, 2020, held. Yet, in the middle of disappointment, God was still working in our hearts, lives, cities, and world. On this year's season finale episode of Still With You, I'm taking a moment to not 
talk about politics, toilet paper, or Tiger King. Instead, I'm taking a moment to reflect with a favorite returning guest and answering your questions and listening to your stories. I would love to know, did you experience a moment or a season this year where God radically worked in your life? Did he show up for you in an unbelievable way? Was there a moment where God was still with you? I want to hear and share your story. And I am doing this through the final episode of season three. Let me explain and share a few ways that you could potentially be featured on this year's season finale of Still With You. Number one, you can share your story by emailing me at coleybrowning at gmail.com. Simply write out your story in 150 words or less and it will be read on air. Now, it's your decision, of course, whether you want this to be anonymous or not. Second, you can email and attach a voice recording in MP3 form sharing your story. You can do this through the voice memo application on your phone or use a home computer. Your voice recording could be shared on air. Make sure you include only your first name and keep your time under three minutes. Finally, not only do I love asking questions, but I love answering questions. So if you have any questions for me about the podcast, my personal life, anything that I can help you with, advice, I'm not sure what you'd like to ask, but I would be willing to answer. You always can share this with me, but I would love to feature a few of your questions on this final episode, along with my returning guest who will be announced at a later date. All questions will remain anonymous and make sure you let me know that this is something that you would like to have featured in the season finale episode of Still With You. I am so excited to celebrate God's faithfulness this year, and this conversation is going to be one talking about the fun, crazy, and amazing things from this year. It's not going to be too heavy, I promise, because 2020 has been heavy enough. I would love it if all of your questions and stories could be submitted by Sunday, November 22nd. And please remember that not every question and story that is submitted will be shared and no late entries will be accepted. Go ahead and feel free to email me and let me know if you have any questions about this. This is a fun, interactive way for you to be a part of the final episode of season three of Still With You. It feels like just yesterday I was saying, here it is, and now I feel like we are moving into a new season. It's going to be so much fun and we're already stockpiling and preparing episodes to share with you at the end of January 2021. This wraps up my announcement for season three. I've been so excited to share it with you guys. I told you it was coming. So I sat down with my budget and started doing the math and was like, God, if I, if you want me to stay here, I'm pretty certain you do. Like, I'm pretty sure this is the right answer, even though I'm miserable here. I can probably only live here two more months. Basically what had happened is that in the months leading up to this time period, I had been looking for work. So I'd been like nannying and babysitting in the city. And it was such a weird time. If you've ever seen the movie Nanny Diaries, it felt a lot like that. Just this weird world that I'd never been a part of and all of a sudden was very front seat too. Somebody once told me New York is offensive to all the senses and it really is. And it was such a curveball, like learning about all the different cultures and learning about the different classes and just dichotomy of like this family being so wealthy and then their full-time nanny being from a different country who was working constant hours to put her daughter through med school in a different country. And she hadn't seen her daughter in 10 years or something crazy like that. The crazy difference of the 
of the wealthy and the poor. I can't even imagine. So that was my first couple months. And during that time, I was still applying to jobs and also wallowing in my self-pity. And then I got the call for this job and it was more of what I wanted to do. Obviously, I wanted to be in media. It was a video editing job. It was embarrassing. I wore the skirt backwards. Uh, It was on Broadway, which was a really big moment for me. I was like, wow, this place is on Broadway. (laughs) And it was right across the street from Wall Street. It was right next to the pool. I was like taking a bunch of photos and just like really reveling in this huge New York moment that felt really real and unreal and just crazy. And then I got into the room and I fell out of my chair. (laughs) Like literally? Literally. I sat down and it was leather and it was much slicker than I thought it was going to be. And I just slid right onto my butt. Oh my God. And that was my first moment meeting my new boss. He hadn't hired me yet, but it was so embarrassing. Um, And it was in this big board room. Do you know the ticker tape parades? Yeah. So it's right on that street. So the ticker tape parades are there. So this big boardroom had all these windows, gorgeous. And it's right at the bottom of Manhattan. So you can you can see the water. It was just like such a surreal moment. And then I embarrassed the crap out of myself. And then he interviewed me. And he was like, I just want you to recognize the weight of you being here, which as if I didn't already being unemployed for the last three months. <laughs> he was like, there were 600 applicants. And you're one of six that we have brought in. Wow. I was so stunned because in the time leading up to that, I had been to a bunch of mixers and like been on job boards and everyone just kept saying like, the only way you survive in New York is to know somebody. And I didn't know anybody. And I just kept thinking like, it has to be God. There's no other way that I'm going to survive here. Yeah. If it's not God, then it's nothing. And I'm going to have to leave. And it was because like, applying to a job on a job board like indeed or whatever nobody gets those jobs but then I did so I did the interview I did they did like a test to see if I could actually edit and then it came down to me and one other guy and then he and I basically went head to head and they like pretended like we weren't but it was very clear that we were (laughs) and it was actually graphics that ended up getting me the job which was crazy because I had very limited experience with graphics that I thought. When I looked back at my story later, I realized I actually had been doing graphics all along and it was the thing that I enjoyed the most. (laughs) But I hadn't noticed that because it was such a small part of it and it, it came naturally to me. Anytime we needed a graphic, even in high school when we made a video, I was like, oh yeah, I can put that together. And my sister was the same way. I don't I didn't think twice about it. I was like, oh yeah, you just it's a little bit of embellishment. It doesn't need like a whole lot. We'll just add a little bit of graphics here. But what ended up getting me the job was that I built a whole graphics package for this new show that they were launching. It was a YouTube show. It was called 8012, which apparently means looking at things from every side. I'd never heard of it. And they basically just gave me the bug and then were like, have at it. And then I made a whole graphics package based on the look of the bug. I think the other guy kind of gave up in the midst of that because they were just so excited. Like there's just like this atmosphere of excitement that I still get to this day when I make graphics for the first time. I ended up getting a full-time position. It was a huge moment. And I remember walking down Broadway and calling my parents and telling them and being so excited. And then like realizing very quickly after like how little pay it actually was and, (laughs) and how I was living paycheck to paycheck still. And I had thought like, oh, all my problems will disappear once I get this job. (laughs) But it just wasn't the case. And it was really, it ended up being much more difficult than I thought. And they did away with 8012. They, after like it getting such good reviews and it doing so well, they decided to kill it. And then the company went through all these like changes. 
it just was like depressing to go to work now. And and also like, what is the point of all of this if I barely can make ends meet? I ended up moving out of that really weird apartment and moved into a different apartment, which is also a God story in which I only went to go visit two apartments when I moved to New York. <laughs> and the day after that yeah. guy was like, I need you out of my apartment. The next day, the, the second place I went to look at called me and was like, hey, the guy that we chose decided to move out. And we now need to fill this spot. Are you still interested in moving in? So then I moved into that apartment. I had four roommates. There was five of us in this really tiny apartment. But it was perfect for the moment because I really just needed a place to put my stuff. It was only a couple blocks from my boyfriend. It was really just such a God moment of like, wow, okay, like you really are just working all things out for my good. I started to feel really bored at work. They basically didn't really need me for some stuff. And so I did some things, but mostly they weren't really sure what to do with me. I then started like making graphics packages and like video pilots for other shows. And then they went to other companies to like kind of sell them. And I just started to like really notice that the things that I love the most were the graphics. The graphics were the only thing that made me happy. And then I started thinking back to all my old jobs. And that was the case there too. And I just had never noticed it. It was such a weird moment of just being like, wow, like how have I not noticed this about myself? And I remember God putting it on my heart that I really needed to learn Illustrator, but there was just this like pressure. Like I could feel it. Like you need to learn this because I was not interested in it. Like I like, oh, that, that would be a nice thing to know, but it's not imperative. Instead, like God just kind of being like, but it kind of is. And then even using my, my then boyfriend, now husband, Steven, I'll just say his name so it'll be easier. We dated my senior year of college and then we have been dating ever since. And then we got married in 2018, which is like a whole other story. Even in this time, like as I've said before, he sometimes says the hard things to me that I need to hear. He kept saying like, if you have time at work, you should be doing new skills. <laughs> if you're bored, then don't like waste your day just sitting there. Like, And he brought up Illustrator too. And I was like, really like, meh, 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 meh. no. And then finally, like as a surprise to him for our anniversary, I decided to make a cartoon of the two of us and animate it. And I had so much fun. And I did it during work, which is terrible. But <laughs> I told them too. I, I did like I was like, I'm learning Illustrator so I can better like assist you guys. So I learned Illustrator and animated it in Final Cut, which is like so weird to think about now how I even pulled that off. But it's what I was comfortable with. And isn't that in itself just a story of humanhood? The feeling of pride when I was done with that video was unreal. And I just knew like, oh, I need to be a graphics person. What ended up happening is I made a graphics reel. I made a graphics resume, was like, I'm a graphics person. And this is who I am. What I thought was going to happen was that I was going to apply to a new job because this job was not going well anymore. And I was just like, I got to get out of here. And what I had came in to do didn't even exist anymore. So it was just a really tough time. And I felt like I had done and grown as much as I could there. So I went to start applying to other jobs. Then I got told by the new leadership that they needed a graphics person. They wanted a full-time graphics role. And I was like, oh, maybe this is what I've been preparing for. So I like fine-tuned all of my reel and resume and stuff. Or maybe that's why I built the reel and the resume. That's probably it. I was doing it for that role specifically because the other jobs I've been applying to because me in my little tiny human brain was like, God can't give me a graphics job yet. I'm not qualified for that. So what I'll do is I'll get this other job, build up my skills some more, and then jump from that job to a graphics job. Like that was my whole plan. 
Another big thing that happened to me is that this man who was not a Christian said to me during this time, do not let New York decide what you're going to be. If you don't make decisions for yourself, it will. Mm. Like New York will just decide what you're going to do with your life. And it scared the daylights out of me. And I could already see it happening. I applied to the job within the company. They decided not to hire me. It was a little disappointing. (laughs) I was kind of like, I don't want to be at this company anyway. And I know that. So it's probably a blessing. But it was just hard to see that I had built them a whole graphics library. I literally built a graphics library that all of the editors were using on their videos every day. And I was taking special requests. Like I was their graphics person. Yeah. And so for them to just be like, no, we don't want you was just such a confusing time. We went to happy hour drinks, me and my boyfriend for my work. I think someone was leaving. A lot of people started leaving. There was like a grand exodus. And we went to goodbye drinks, I think it was for a friend. And another girl like was talking to me and she's like, don't you want to do graphics? And I was like, oh, I do. Yeah. I'm like kind of looking for anything right now. But I mean, ideally it would be graphics. And she was like, you know, it's so crazy. I got I'm part of this like new group of women in New York who like are in media and they sent out a posting for a job today for a TV show for graphics and I was like <laughs> okay well that's not going to happen and my boyfriend looked at me and was like okay but you're going to send your stuff though right like don't write it off and I was like yeah I mean it seems pointless but yes I will send you my stuff and she's like great like I'll send it over as soon as you send it to me so like at that table I sent the resume and reel that I had created for a totally different position to this girl. And then she forwarded it to me. That was on Friday. We went to church on Sunday. And then after church, I was about to take a nap. I just had this sentence pop into my mind. And it just was, tomorrow changes everything. Wow. What a weird thing to say to me, God. And then like me being me, I just started panicking. And I was like, God, is someone going to die? Please don't do this. And just lamenting and crying and praying, (laughs) just like terrified. And like in the back of my mind, I did think about the job. And another thing that had happened was that the week before, because I was part of the Liberty team at this point, we had this thing called family time in the morning where we prayed. And Um, our pastor at the time, Justin, prayed over our careers and for favor in our careers. And so in the back of my mind, like did occur to me, I was like, you know, I was one of the ones he prayed over. So the next day I'm like sleepily at work and like working on my job. And I get this phone call and it's a New York number. And I just thought to myself, this is it. It's either someone calling to tell me that Stephen's dead or it's something for my career. So I excused myself and like ran downstairs, answered it. This guy named John Tamino said, oh, hi, Megan, we got your resume. We're very impressed with you. And we'd really like you to come and interview at The Chew. Have you ever heard of it? And I had not. <laughs> so I was like, oh, yeah, um, no, actually, he's like, you know, that's totally fine. You're not our demographic. I'm not offended. But we'd be interested in interviewing. And I was like, absolutely. The interview process, God was in every part of it. There had been so many things leading up to this that I had done that I felt were so unnecessary. And this kind of goes back to things that you and I have been talking about, like just moments where I was just like, what is he doing? Like, um, I remember in my job at the church, they had asked me to take over print and I had never done print. And I was so overwhelmed and confused. And I just didn't know 
how to do any of it. And I had learned it all and it was so hard and so frustrating. And I was like, oh, I hate print. And then taking the leadership role of the kids team at my church and how incredibly amazing it was, but also so challenging and stressful. But I had been scheduling and rostering 30 people for a year and had that leadership role under my belt. So many times in the interview, they said things like that. They were like, have you ever had a leadership role? Have you ever had any jobs where you managed people? And I was able to say with confidence, like, I think at the time I was still leading kids. So I was like, yeah, I volunteer on the weekend and I roster 30 people a month um, for slots and volunteer positions. They're like, have you ever done print? And I was like, yes, I have. I've made billboards. I've made leaflets. I've done all kinds of print stuff. I was able to confidently say yes to everything that they asked me to do. Oh, I love that. All of these odds and ends and random things that I had done over the course of the last 10 years that felt like they didn't go together at all. And it was all so random, but it was all just leading to this moment. Tomorrow changes everything. Everything that you've been working for leads to this moment. I think of you wearing the backwards skirt and then like sliding off the leather couch and then running onto Broadway and taking all these exciting phone calls. Tomorrow changes everything. That sounds like pilot episode of an amazing series I would binge watch. (laughs) That's so when I first got the job at the Chew, it reminded me so much of 30 Rock. I binge watched 30 Rock during that time. There's been so many moments in my whole life that have been so surreal, but definitely in this time in New York. And this was the start of so many of them. I was so confident during the interview, but everything after that, I was just so nervous. I wanted it so bad and I just felt so sick. But they basically like looked at me and they said straight up, you're underqualified. We don't know why we want you. Mm. And I was like, I know why you want me. It's the same reason that the company picked me out of 600 people. It has to be God. Yeah. He just said, you're either incredibly naive or incredibly confident, but there's just something about you that we can't put our finger on Mm. and we want you for the job. And I was like, I'm not naive. I'm definitely incompetent in who I am and my abilities. And I know that I can do this job and I'm going to make you proud. Thank you for taking the chance on me. It was incredible. I loved it. I broke down crying in a coffee shop with one of my really good friends who actually ended up officiating my wedding. Um, And we had these coffee dates once a month because we were both so busy. We barely got to see each other where we both just talked about our dreams. And I met her that day and I just started sobbing and was what I told you earlier, like I had no plans. I expected to live a quiet life and God just had other plans for me. There's definitely hard seasons, but It always is so much the timing, everything. It's just better than you could imagine. And it's hard to remember in those hard moments. But like when you're in them, when you're sitting there, you're like, wow, this is better. My career was a little messy after the chew. You know, when a show ends, there's only so many shows. Yeah. What do you do after that? And I'd never experienced it before. And we all thought we were untouchable, especially since like of the Mario situation happened. I remember hearing about that. Yeah our ratings got better. So we were like, oh, we don't need him anyway. Like everything's fine. They told us we were renewed. And I was three days from getting married when they told us that they were canceling the show. They brought us all into the studio and they were like, we're canceling the show. And we only had like a month left. 
I was getting married in like three days. <laughs> so the EP was like crying and was like, I'm so sorry. This is the worst wedding gift. <laughs> but I was laughing to myself when they told us. I felt terrible because everyone was so broken up about it. And I loved that job so much. It was the best job I had ever had. It was such a life-changing thing. Everything changed for me. I was able to move out of my apartment and get a better apartment, which is like a whole other God story where I basically gave them an ultimatum and was like, if you want me in the city, you got to get me a new apartment. <laughs> And then I wrote down a bunch of lists of things that I wanted and was like, I want everything on this list. And then he gave me that and more, which is like a whole other story and also a moment of God. Now, every time anyone wants an apartment in our church, they come to me. That's awesome. We are like, I think five for five. Like every single person who's come to me and prayed with me has gotten everything they wanted. Wow, your record speaks for itself. Prayer is everything. It's so important. So that was like such a year of just having to trust God more than ever because, you know, we were about to get married. My husband is a freelancer. And so his jobs are all kind of, will they come? We don't know. (laughs) Yeah. And so we had kind of really just depended he was going to be on my insurance and like I was going to have the steady income. And then I just wasn't, but ended up working out amazingly. Like I was just really calm. And I wasn't really, honestly, very excited to get back into shows anyway. So I was kind of thankful for the time off. I mean, they're very hectic. The hours are insane. And they're early mornings. And 12-hour days were normal. New shows, startup shows, 15-hour days are the norm. Can't even imagine. I know. It's insane. And the media world in New York is crazy. 12-hour days are the norm for media. And so my husband does those days. Like he has set days where he's just gone from like before the sun goes up and then comes back way after the sun goes down. It's just insane. I wasn't like super stoked to go back to a show anyway. And I was just like trusting in God and be like, I'm open to whatever. But honestly, every job I applied for and interviewed for, I hated. I was just like not interested in it. So I started freelancing and I actually ended up freelancing. A friend of my husband's was like, oh, we need a video editor slash graphics person for this company called NYC and Company. And it's actually the tourism company for New York. So it was really fun and exciting. It was very different than the two and really difficult because they really wanted me for full time. And I kept saying, like, I don't feel like this is the right fit for me. I'm happy to be here as long as you want me as a freelancer, but I cannot make a commitment to you because I just don't feel like it's the right fit for a full time position. And then we just kind of had that song and dance for six months. We went to Puerto Rico in January, I think, for my birthday. I saw a billboard that I had made, which was a super surreal moment of like, wow, like things that I make are all over the world. I can't even imagine that feeling. So surreal. And I was really enjoying that time period. But I mean, it wasn't a full-time job. I was doing other freelance work on the side too, but I was pretty locked into this. And then one day they just stopped calling me. It was like the same thing a year later. And I was feeling real lost. And then I was like kind of a tough time period. I didn't have any work for a little while. And I started getting phone calls that this new show was launching called Tamron Hall. And I felt a lot of anxiety about going to it, but my boss really wanted me to. And I was just like, God, okay, like here it is on the table. Like, this is my option. Are you going to make another way? Or is this the one that you want me to do? And it was a really hard yes for me. I really didn't want to take the job. It has nothing to do with Tamron. I think she's lovely. I actually really liked her. I just wasn't sure if I wanted to do daytime anymore. Because you took such a hard left and then went to New York and company, and then you kind of came back to that more talk show feel. Right. And so I was like really unsure of it. I was like, okay, I guess we're doing this. 
And it was a really hard year. The hours were really long. I didn't really like the job because it's not really a graphics heavy show. And it's also a much heavier show than The Chew. The Chew was really light and fun. Tamron Hall is a very much a journalist. And so it's it's a really hard hitting show. Mm-hmm. My partner, I can't remember what the exact thing that happened, but they weren't trusting that he would be able to handle the room without me. So I was working double the hours for no reason. Oh, wow. I was just there to like oversee him at all times, pretty much. And I hadn't agreed to that. I felt really unsure of things. And then I, um, and I didn't realize I was doing this. I threw myself into marathon training. Oh my gosh. I decided I was going to run a marathon. (laughs) Did you run the New York marathon? So I ended up not running the marathon at all because they canceled it because it was in March. Okay. It was a really tough year. I felt aimless. I never saw my friends because I was working the craziest hours. I felt disconnected. And I serve on like so many teams at my church. So when I was at church, it wasn't really, I wasn't being filled. I was more just like pouring out, which was unhealthy on my end. I needed to put my own walls up and I didn't. And I was definitely like mourning things that I wanted to be happening in my life that just were not happening. I felt like my husband and I were fighting a lot and I really wanted to move on to the next period of our life. I really like was like pushing to have children. Like I was like, this is our time. Mm -hmm. My husband was just like, are you saying this because you want to have a baby right now? Are you saying it because you're unhappy with your career? So you're like putting everything Mm -hmm. in that. And you know, he is probably right. But then like, In order to get rid of that and like more in that, then I threw myself into the marathon thing. And they were all just idols, you know, like I was just like bitter and angry and just throwing myself in these other things. And then 2020 happened. The year started off really painful. It just felt like everywhere I looked, everyone was crumbling and nobody was doing well. And I just felt this sense from God that like this was a year that he was going to shake all of the dead branches off of the tree. The metaphors that you give are just like amazing. I love the language that you and God have together. That one was like a deep talk I had with one of my friends who was actually in the school of ministry at Bethel. I've been feeling that. I just couldn't put words on it. And I think that was her metaphor actually, so I can't take credit for it. It was great because there was like things that I was praying for that he would shake off were shaking off. I was like, God, I need change. Like this has to change. And I was really looking forward to the marathon. And then I finished my training. I got up to 20 miles. I was so proud of myself. Two weeks out and they canceled it. And everything with COVID started spiraling. And I just had this coming to God moment. I went on a run and I just like started sobbing in the middle of the uh, Prospect Park, my favorite park, and was just like, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing? (laughs) Like, what is this? And then God just being like, it was an idol. And I told you I was going to shake up this year and I was going to shake up all the, I shake off all the idols and cut all the things that took away from us. And so like, this is one of those things. I was so thankful. And for like a week It was just this beautiful time period of me just being like, all right, God, I'm here for it. Like, what are we going to do next? And then the city got shut down. (laughs) Your heart city was the hot one is still one of the hottest spots of COVID outbreak. And it's just heartbreaking. I have struggled the whole time I've been in New York. It's been a very up and down time. And sometimes I'm so in love with this city. And sometimes I'm like, God, why would you ever bring me to this godforsaken place? And in this moment, when we were deciding whether or not to leave New York when they were shutting down the city, I was really struggling. If we leave, what does that mean? Are we done here? Were we ever supposed to be here? Which I know in my heart isn't true. Like, of course we were. Like, there's so many signs of that everywhere I look. But 
I was alone because I had isolated myself for the whole year and put all this unnecessary pressure on myself to provide for my family. Steven didn't ask me to do that. And he told me if I didn't want to take the job, I didn't have to. But I put all this unnecessary pressure on myself to take care of my family and to save money so that our dreams would come true. Mm -hmm. It was really unhealthy. (laughs) And then there was all this pressure because like Steven lost all of his work because he was a freelancer. Everyone was scared. Everyone thought it was just going to be for like two weeks. So he had already lost work for probably two weeks before the city shutdown actually happened. And then he was like, you know, I'm really antsy. I don't have any work. Hopefully this will only be two weeks. And then like, you can work from home right now. So why don't we just go to Florida and see our family? So we had no idea though. It ended up being three months. It was like we were refugees. We like packed everything we had or that was important to us and then left home. And then you also feel this guilt for leaving the people behind that are who are in it and are experiencing it. Um, even though like, you know, that's not on you. That's not your job, but <laughs> you just feel this empathy. We got a new EP the same week that everything shut down, which is crazy, and a new executive producer. Wow. She made a bunch of changes. She asked me to change the whole graphics package within a week, um, which usually takes about three months. Fleeing my home, I was learning all these new skills and these new programs because she really was into 3D, and I'm not super big into 3D, so I don't know it as well. Um, So I was learning this whole program in my car. And this is still for Tamron Hall? Yeah, we're still in Tamron Hall. So I I was working 15-hour days. Um, producing a show from afar during a pandemic is incredibly difficult. <laughs> My Slack channels were beeping all the time. My family were like, you know, can't you just take a break and eat dinner? And I would just start sobbing and be like, no, I can't. Because if I don't work, then I'm holding up other people. Yeah. The longer I wait to do my job, the longer those people have to work. And it's just like so much stress and anxiety. So I was like, you know, I don't feel like God wants me to quit. Maybe after the season, but not right now. Like I feel very like... This is a tough place to be, but it's a necessary place to be. And Drew Barrymore was always in the background. I had heard about it the fall before, and my ears perked up immediately. Um, I didn't know how to get my name in the hat, but I wanted to. And then someone, a friend of a friend, approached me and asked if I wanted to be considered for the role during this whole mess. And I was so exhausted. So like part of me was like kind of excited and was like, yes, I do. And then part of me is like, it's probably never going to happen. Like, how are they going to launch during a pandemic? Right. That's been my question all along. So I was like really hesitant, but I sent my stuff in and then I didn't hear anything back for like two months. Oh, I made a mistake. I wrote an email that I thought was just to my boss that basically was like, I'm fed up. I didn't know that people were CC'd on it. (laughs) Oh, goodness. Another sitcom moment with you, Megan. I know. I have a lot. (laughs) It wasn't awful. It was mostly just like, this is ridiculous. I've been working 13 hours today and they're just now giving me work that says like it needs to be done by 6 a.m. tomorrow. This should have been thought out. Like everyone says that they understand the plight of like my team, but they don't because they produce like three segments a week. We're producing all of the segments every day, always. Um, Because that's the team, like a graphics team and an editing team and stuff. They over and an art team, like all of those teams see every single segment. Yeah. Whereas producing teams only get to perfect this one thing. And sometimes it's a whole show and that's a lot. And I'm not downplaying anybody's job, but it's a lot to juggle every single segment. Every single segment always needs something. You are customer service for every single producer. 
and they were adding producers by the tons. So I was like, every time I turned around, there was a new producer and they were like, hello, my name is such and such. I need things from you. And so I just lost my cool. And I just, I let my boss know. I immediately wrote back and apologized when I realized what I had done. And then the next day my boss called me and was like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to talk to them. I'm going to explain to them like what you're dealing with. Cause at this point, the, the new leadership at the show really loved me. And so I hadn't really been like concerned about anything. And my boss kept telling me, cause there was rumors that they were going to make a lot of cuts at the end of the season because there's a new executive producer. And like, they couldn't do it right now because like we're in the middle of a pandemic and we all have contracts. He basically had been telling me all along, you have nothing to worry about. You have nothing to worry about. And then in this conversation, I could tell I had something to worry about, but I also didn't care. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, hit a wall. I was like, I just don't, I can't say anything negative about anyone ever. I'm sure that everyone just at that point was doing the best they could and just expecting everyone to do the same without making waves. And I wasn't trying to, I felt like it was uncalled for the hours that we were working. I was proud of what we were producing. I was glad that we were still on the air. I was thankful for the job, but some of the stuff was really unnecessary. And I felt like when I raised white flags and was like, you know, I can't do any more today, I was dismissed. I talked to the friend who had recommended me to Drew and they were like, you know, it turns out that the person we sent your information to never sent your stuff in. Oh, gosh. So I reforwarded it um, and was like worried that I was too late. At this point, like I really just came to terms with like, God, I'm quitting, you know, let your will be done. That was about 24 hours before they fired almost everyone on the team. And I was just really thankful that I had made the decision for myself. Yeah. They did not fire me. They needed the the post-production team to stay on for a couple weeks after they fired everyone out. Mm-hmm. So we hadn't had our meetings yet. Like I thought maybe they might fire me and maybe they'll keep, they'll keep me on. But I was just thankful that I had already come to pe- like peace with my decision. And then this just like reinforced it. Because like I just felt that firing your whole team during a pandemic was inconsiderate. I understood that that's normal in television, but it's also not a part of television that I want to be involved with. Yeah. So I was like ready to leave. Um, I was very respectful um, about everything, but I was just like, okay, <laughs> this is, thanks for making it easy. Okay. So 24 hours before they fired everyone, I decided I wanted to leave. And then 24 hours after they fired everyone, I got a call from Uh, my now boss offering me the job to Drew Barrymore. God's timing in your story is like hilarious and amazing and so scary at the same time. It's always nice because I feel like I'm so blessed that he shows up usually pretty quickly. But I was really thankful for it when I got to this moment because I knew that the reason I got the job was because of Tamron Hall. And I needed that job to get to this job. I thought it was possible that I would get the job. I didn't think it was possible that he was going to choose me as the senior. I don't know why it surprised me so much. Like, I just didn't expect to be the head role of the department. The first interview that I did before they offered me the job, which I didn't even tell you about because it was so superfluous. It was like he literally called me and was like, I want to talk to you about the job. And I like took over that interview and was like, tell me what your plans are. Oh, wow. And I just want to make sure this department is run well if we're going to be launching a show during a pandemic. So I told him everything we had done. I like brought up possible issues. I asked a lot of questions about what they were doing. And I didn't mean to do that. I was just in a place where like I was just I couldn't go back to what I had just left. And he was like, oh, wow, you're bringing up such good questions, things I don't know. Like, we'll just have to see. Like, I don't know. And then he was like, what do you offer me the job? He's like, you're the perfect lead. Like, you know, 
what we're going into. You, you, you have a great handle on all of these things. It's so impressive that you built a graphics package during a pandemic <laughs> from your car. It's going to be a lot of work, which I know you're very weary about. But I think if you're willing to do it, we just would love to have you on the team. Man, when I hear that conversation, I just almost think of you as like a wounded veteran. Like you went to war and then you're like coming back home and like, (laughs) but also at the same time, like how God flips things on his head and it's like, well, she just got back from a terrible trip, but also like she is going to rally the troops. Like, and I like what a gift and good that came out of it for the team that you were designed and born to lead. Thank you for saying that. It was really exceptional because I was able to come with a couple of the Tamron Hall people. And it was such a moment to be able to speak into them too, because we were all feeling really kind of wounded and overlooked and had kind of a traumatic ending there it was a turnover. Like, you know, you get a new team when you get new leaders. But it was hard because we had all the people I had worked with that came to Drew with me were also at the Chew with me. The post team at the Chew and the Tamron Hall show were a family. And it was really like a very much like giving his blessing that our boss gave us up to our new boss. (laughs) Because there was a moment during my interview where my new boss was like, is it going to be okay? And I was like, he wants us to be taken care of. So like, he's going to be ecstatic if we tell him that you're going to take us. <laughs> it was really beautiful, though, in the way that God worked in that season, too, because I felt like a little bit of my high school self come back and my uh, college self, like the, the confident woman came back when I decided that I was going to quit. Like, it was just like such a clear thing. Like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to quit. Just like the moment when I decided to move to New York, even though I didn't feel confident in that time. It's just like very clear, very like at peace. Like, I know this is the right thing. And I was talking to one of the people who was thinking about leaving and she was confiding in me. And I was just like, they're robbing you of your joy. Yeah. And you don't deserve that. And you don't need, and she's like, well, I need the money. And I'm like, you know, she's not a Christian, but I was like, that will be taken care of. Your joy is more important than that. Don't put like monetary value on that. Mm. He ended up coming with us. It was really great. I like, I was able to be like, hire her. And then when he interviewed her, she was like, hire her (laughs) about me. And it was, it's been really great. It's been so much fun. And it's been an incredible amount of work. They were not wrong. Making a show during a pandemic is so much work, even if you love it. Everything I had done led up to this. I was just so happy to be there and so honored to be a part of this, that the first eight weeks that I was working 80 hour weeks, it just felt worth it. It's finally starting to get into a rhythm, but the hours are still very long. Yeah. That's why I'm so shocked that you even have time for me. That's why when I started off with, I was like, I don't know how you have time for me because you've only been on air for like a couple of months, but like, okay, thank you, Megan. I was a little overwhelmed when you first asked me, but I really was just so touched and honored that you would be willing to talk to me at all. In moments like this, like if you had asked me a year ago when I was at Tamarin, I would have been like, I've got nothing to share. (laughs) But in this moment, when you are in a moment, when a mountaintop moment and you look back, you really just see how God has touched every part of everything. It's like that moment in Lion King when you're looking out and like God is like, you can have all of this. Like you have had all of this. I have given you all of these things. Yeah. 
And you can see them because you're up there with him. And then like, you're going to head into the valley and you're going to forget your view is going to be gone. <laughs> and you're just going to be like, I don't have anything. And then you'll go back to the mountain and God will be like, remember, look. And then you're like, oh yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Everything the light touches is mine. <laughs> I want to first say that when I think when we look back at 2020, which again, like is a gear that's going to be like burned in history, at least in my mind, what is so amazing. And I kind of said it earlier when I was talking about like, you've left a mark on the city. Drew Barrymore, like launching her show is such a, such a mark in the midst of so much heartbreak in this year. And I know that your hands have to be on this too, is that her logo is like bright yellow. And it's like absolutely like what we need. I was even thinking about that as you like shared your story of like how much darkness. And I'm like, God is so cool that he brought you into a color that I think that you like because I've seen you wear like a yellow like so much <laughs> like you with your cute bangs and yellow. That is so the Lord just something that's like lighthearted and like honest and funny. And I've been thinking a lot about, especially as the year's kind of coming to a close. And I've been thinking about that, like what I will remember. I think that's one that will, a lot of us will. And now I love, it means even more because I feel like I got the backstory of like your life and how that meshed with it. Thank you. I didn't have anything to do with the yellow. I actually, um, my friends call that yellow Megan yellow. Cool. Cause it was one of my wedding colors and I, also look really good in it. <laughs> it like complements my skin tone really well. And so if anyone in my friend group wears yellow, they'll be like, oh, you're wearing Megan yellow. So it was like a sign from God. Just like with the Chew, everything that I see in the, the Drew situation and my experience on the Drew Barrymore show feels, I could just see God's fingerprints on every bit of it. When I first opened the initial graphics package, which now doesn't exist anymore because we've changed it all, which is a blessing and an honor as well, <laughs> because I loved the initial graphics package, but I've been able to make it my own and make it like Drew, but like have my own touch on it. When I opened the graphics package and I saw the colors, I just felt so much peace mm. and like a breath of fresh air. This is meant for me. Oh, I'm so glad I brought that up then. Yeah, no, that's really good. I'm so glad you discerned that. I see it everywhere I look. I've never met such passionate, hardworking, and encouraging people in my entire life. It is the most inclusive group of people I've ever met. I literally have people who are such big cheerleaders to the point where like on our Slack channels, they want to be on all of our Slack channels just so they can like and comment on my graphics. <laughs> Oh, that's beautiful. I love that. It's so sweet and encouraging. And it's literally all came to this. I see how God worked on my heart with women. Like it's a pretty women dominated group. And I am so blessed by all the women in this group. I'm also blessed by all the men too. But I mean, it's just incredible. Like everything I've learned has brought me to this point. And Everyone feels that way. We can tell that we are doing great work and we are proud of the work that we're doing and we're exhausted, but we wouldn't want to be anywhere else. We all had this really, and I know for me especially, but like we all have talked about it a great deal as coworkers. I can just feel God working through this show. I mean, my coworkers didn't talk about that, but I, <laughs> I can feel God working through this show. And I think it's exactly what the world needs right now. Just as you were saying, it's a breath of fresh air. Drew is the most Christ-like non-Christian, which I can't even say because I don't know her full beliefs. 
but she is the most incredible, refining, grace-giving woman. Like she works so hard to give herself grace. She works so hard to refine herself. She's constantly saying like, I want to learn until I die. And even Mm -hmm. after, like she just wants to always be kind, always be loving, always be inclusive, always be growing. Just like the hurdles that she has overcome is just so incredible to me. I know. Yeah. And to be the most amazing, beautiful, heartwarming, loving person on the other side of that is just incredible. Like, how do you get there? And she's super hands-on super encouraging. I mean, I just found out that last week she sent presents to all the editors because they worked so hard last week. (laughs) So kind, so amazing. We used to have meetings twice a day with her where the whole group would get together and it was her favorite time of day. And she would go through and say everyone's name and make comments about how they looked or like the job that they were doing. Like, wow, I really appreciated that you did this this week. That was really helpful. And it just like, When they say it comes from the top, I mean, it comes from the top. Oh, I love that. You can see that these people are caring and working so hard and are so passionate because the person we are doing this to, I mean, technically promote, cares and works so hard and is so kind and so passionate. And so much during the um, the pre-prep because they've, a lot of the people who work on the show started on the pilot. Um, I have this job because I actually know the girl who did some of the graphics um, for the pilot she chose not to take it because she's a freelancer and it's it's a very long gig. And I'm incredibly thankful to her for not taking it. A lot of the people did work on the pilot. Um, so technically, they've been working on this show for over a year and they've put their whole life into it. And we have this saying at the show where we say, go out and live your life and bring it back to the show because we need life to be in the show or else it's not worth mm-hmm. it. Like, what are you even doing here? And so we did all of this work and we put so much into it. And in the months leading up to this, I just kept thinking like, this is exactly what the world needs. Going to change television forever. Yeah. Everyone's always trying to bring nighttime to daytime and they don't do it successfully. I believe she's doing it successfully. She's so easy to love. She's so funny and sassy. She can do characters. She can do conversations. She's a jack of all trades. She's a Swiss army knife. Like she's so fun. It just fits. And then not to mention like doing it during a pandemic, which is insane, but also like the technology behind it is absolutely crazy. Oh, yeah. Like the fact that Cameron Diaz was there in studio, but wasn't really there. Oh, my goodness. You you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. It's like revolutionary, too, because you could do it after the pandemic. Like It's exceptional for the pandemic, but it's exceptional for any time. You could have several studios around the country And like a big thing, like it's been hard since it's gotten going and like definitely we've had a lot more famous people on, but it was never Drew's intention to have a bunch of famous people on. Like she has been very clear that she wants this to be a show for everyone. So if you just have a bunch of famous people on, that's not as like, you know, inclusive. The other day she was talking to like first black female who is certified to a Harley Davidson mechanic. And I was like, okay, don't even know her, but I wrote her name down because she's from my home state. And so I'm like, yeah, it's amazing. Like that's what she loves. She loves people. And I just see Christ all over her, the way that she sees people, the way that she loves people, the way that she wants to make sure everyone is included. 
and I just know God's in this. Yeah. And I, I'm so thankful to be a part of it. Since we are on the topic of Drew Barrymore, I will say that she had actually like a very, very like large hand in my, I think it would probably be like my junior high years. Have you ever seen her movie, Great Gardens? It's an HBO movie. I have not. Not many people have. She talks about it a lot. Wait, she talks about it a lot? Yeah, she just like, she makes references to it. And I'm always like, oh, I got to watch that. None of my circle of people really know about it, but it's like an HBO movie. It's like a redone movie of an original documentary of um, Jackie Onassis's crazy cousins. And Drew and Jessica Lang played the main characters. And I am not kidding. I have home videos of me like imitating Drew Barrymore playing the cousins on this show, like the Bouvier family and like my cousins (laughs) and I would dress up. I watched that movie so many times because I'd seen the documentary, like how she transformed herself in acting in that role. I was like all about it. But anyway, like I didn't know if you'd seen it, but that that is like my Drew Barrymore moment. Yes, I've seen E.T. and all the other things, but that movie like had a huge role in shaping like how I saw the world. I'm going to have to watch this movie. That's so wonderful. I'll put it in the show notes for everyone, but it is the best. It's like, I know that she's played in so many other roles, but it's my favorite Drew Barrymore. I love that. I really didn't know anything about her before that I took I took the job. I really like some of her movies. Like I really love Fever Pitch. I love Fever Pitch. Yes. I love Ever After. Oh, music and lyrics. Like I thought she was adorable and I loved her. But getting to know her, you just love her even more. That makes my day even more that she will randomly quote that movie because that is me. I literally can still like quote so many lines from that movie. Oh, that ma- that is hilarious to me. I love that so much. She's a fascinating person, like just like everything that she's been through and and everything that she's experienced and the movies that she has been in, like even like she'll tell us like, uh, I guess Steven Spielberg, because he was so concerned about her home life when she was young, he kind of took like a father role in her life and took care of her. Yeah. And so she um, she's actually in a bunch of his movies, but just like hidden. Uh, I guess I'm like Raiders of the Lost Ark or something. She's like in a in like a red hijab or you just don't see her. Oh my gosh. Like a bunch of like little things that she just like throws out and you're just like, okay. Like I didn't realize that she owns her own production company. Actually, the Drew Barrymore show is actually underneath. It's on the umbrella of that. Uh, like we're CBS, but we're also Flower Productions. Yes. And then she has her beauty brand and she has her um, furniture brand. She has her glasses brand. Like she has so many things. It's just really inspirational. Because um, a big thing that I've learned since I've moved to New York, you know, you always just think like, oh, I go to school and then I get a career and then I have a family and then like what's left? You know, what happens after that? But one thing I've learned since I've moved to New York and I've really in- been inspired by is the women in New York really like embrace every new season for other women too, but I've mostly seen it in New York women really just like drink it to the last drop. They don't take any season for granted. It's never too late. It just feels like every older woman. And I know in New York is like, Oh, I'm learning piano. And she's like 70, you know, like what? And you know, it's just like, it's just, it's not over till it's over and just keep rebranding yourself and keep learning about yourself and keep investing in yourself. Don't be happy with just like where you are, you know, just keep, which sounds terrible, but you know, like keep growing, you know, don't just settle. Like you said it earlier, like you are the friend who I feel like will push you forward, but also lovingly do it at the same time, like make you cry the best tears. Mm -hmm. And I can see that in you. And like, even just like 
in these past few, this just this evening talking with you, like you've done that for me. I'm grateful. And though I can never imagine like what you've gone through to be in this place, I am so thankful for the fire that you had to walk through to be able to be a voice for those who can't and to encourage, even if it's just me, I know you're encouraging more than just me, but thank you for doing it. I'm just amazed. And I'm so, so thankful that like God connected our paths when I started the podcast, I would never dream that I would be like talking to people on the East Coast and making friends. And I love that, Megan. Well, thank you so much. Um, one for reaching out to me ever, like from the beginning, you reached out to me like out of the blue. And thanks for being brave to like reach out to strangers. So thanks for that. And then also just for being interested in um, my story, but also for making a platform to tell people's stories. Because like I said earlier, like testimonies, the power of a testimony is just it can't be... Yeah. I just like, I don't know. I think we, we uh, don't appreciate it. And I think I'm just so thankful for you to give others a voice. Like I'm just so honored to be a part of your platform and also just so thankful that you day in and day out put the work in to make this a reality because I mean, you're a busy woman too <laughs> and you got a lot going on and this is just like your side hustle, which is insane because it's like a full-time job. Um, so I just have so much respect and admiration for you as well. I pray that you just keep giving others the voice so that, I don't know, more people can just be encouraged and you can just be the Barnabas to everybody. That is 100% my prayer with, I want to spotlight others and I want, um, God to get all the glory and thank you. And especially hearing that coming from you just means like the world. If you're cool with it, I'm going to ask you the final question. And then um, off the record, do you care if I pray over you before you go? Of course. You can put it on the record. I love being prayed over. (laughs) Oh, okay. All right. Well, we will go on the record then. Okay, cool. (laughs) Okay, Megan, because the show is called Still With You, I always close with this question. You interpret it however you wish. Where is God still with you? The quickness that he runs to me when I call and I don't deserve it. Oh, that's a good answer. Yeah. We kind of discussed it a little bit earlier and how beautiful it's been in my journey to see God show up so quickly and respond so eagerly to me when I call him. And it's so beautiful, but it's so undeserved. Yeah. And it makes me so guilty in the moments that I don't immediately turn to him. And so I was just praying with him earlier today and was just, I am sorry that I have the audacity to make you wait and to put you on the back burner. Mm when I don't deserve you at all. And you come running to hold me the second I call your name. I mean, again, like the language that you use with the Lord and that you guys have your own personal like dialogue. It's like, it is, you can tell that like it is, and I mean this with the most respect, but like, it's like, I think sometimes we all sometimes see God as only like loving, like ooey gooey love, which he is totally. It is tough love and it's like the discipline we need. And I feel like I hear that with your voice of, man, like it's the good tough love though that we need, you know, like it's like the true love. The necessary love too. It's like it has to happen in order for us to grow in this relationship. We're going to pray for you every time we think of you and every time we see the color yellow. (laughs) Every time we see a head full of bangs, like we're just going to pray for Megan. Thank you so much. So I'm going to like, I've never like prayed for someone while recording. So this makes me super happy, but this is great because we'll just have like tons of people praying for you at the same time. Receive it. I receive it. Come on. Okay. All right. I'm going to pray for us. All right. Father God, we thank you so much. Thank you so much for Megan and her bravery and her courage just to go for it. 
she just stands with her arms like wide open and is just willing to walk forward even if she can't see what's around her, God. But you're just, you're right there with her, holding her hand with your arm around her shoulder. God, we just thank you for the life that she lives every day. We pray for her marriage. We pray for her career. We pray for her family and ask that you um, show favor on her um, even more so. And the anointing in her platform is just increased. We pray for her coworkers and um, Drew Barrymore and just all of the team and the cast there that God, you placed them for such a time as this. God, we ask that your presence is just known there forever this season of COVID-19, though it's been really tough, like it's marked on our hearts, God, and we're thankful for the work that Megan and so many countless others, um, friends of ours that are just working hard. We thank you for the, the funnel of strength that never runs out, God. And so I just ask that you bless Megan and bless anything that her hands touch. And we thank you so much that she's showing us like the beautiful and creative side of the true heart of you, Father. And we love you. It's in your name we pray. I don't know what Megan's story did for you, but it did a real heart work in me. And I'll be very honest about what happened in the behind the scenes and producing this episode. Megan and I talked for an extremely long time outside of recording, and it was absolutely the best thing for both me and I believe her because she has expressed that living in New York during this time has not been easy and very isolating. The greatest joy for me as a friend and host of the podcast is when I'm speaking with these incredible individuals, they are the real deal off of the mic. Megan's heart is so pure and beautiful and she will make you cry as she has shared. She is the friend who sometimes will make her friends cry in the best way possible. She did make me watery eyed and thinking about how I can be a better leader in my own circle and how I can put my arms forward in opening to what God has for me and to lean into trusting in him even more. You never know when you're going to experience the day that changes everything. If you want to hear more about Megan and her amazing work that she is doing on the Drew Barrymore show, or just look up any of the fun graphics that she has created, I will be linking her website in the show notes for you to check out some of the cool reels that she has created. I am such a fan of all of her work. If you want to find more, you can go to her website, meganvmucci.com, or you can find her on social media. Her handle is meganvmucci. Again, all of that will be on the show notes for you to find, as well as ways that you can be a part of the season three finale episode of Still With You. I am so excited for you to see Send in your questions, send in your stories. I can't wait to hear them. And more importantly, I cannot wait to share them. All of this info and more can be found at coleybrowning.com. Feel free to reach out to me on social media. Also, if you have any questions, Coley Browning is where I'm at everywhere. That's K-O-H-L-I-E. Don't be afraid to reach out to me. Thank you so much for taking a moment to listen to this episode. And as always, I want to thank Lily Gray for sharing her music with us. You're listening to her song Lifted from her album. It's all beautiful right here. Make sure you check out lilygray.com or follow her on social media at lilygray. Whatever you feel like God is asking you to do, I think that you should just do it and see what happens. He is the same today as he was when he created the Garden of Eden all the way where he is working in towns and cities and nations across the world. Please go out and be bold, be brave, be you, and remember that he is still with you. I 